Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. Guilt, a negative emotional response associated with the feeling of anxiety occurring when you perceive a specific behavior as wrong. Today's scripture verses from John speak of sin and guilt. As you listen, see if you can identify the multiple examples of guilt that the writer employs to heighten our awareness of the unspeakable. John 8, 3 to 11. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left, with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Isn't it ironic that that same silence then continues today? What is it about sex that we can't talk and have discourse about it without feeling guilty? Her name, Maddie. It was my first church I'd ever pastored. I was a little nervous. I was there as an interim. The conference had told me that I was supposed to fill the gap until they got their real minister. Well, I tried. And while there, I met Maddie. And in our conversation, as we got to know each other, she came to the point where she announced that she was going to be getting married and she wanted to know if I would perform the wedding for her and her fiancé. My reply was, well, yes, I would, I'd be more than happy to do that for you. And I said, but one of the requirements that our church has, and at that time I was serving another church other than within the United Church of Christ, it was another denomination, a very fundamental church, because the way I was raised, that was appropriate for me. Her and her fiance would meet with me in our meetings. We would go through different subjects, and then we came to the subject of sexuality. And I told them what I had been taught, 
not only by my parents, but by the church and by my teachers when I was in seminary. And that was, sex was only for marriage. Well, that created a problem because Maddie and her husband and her fiance, they were living together. And I was so bold to tell them I would do their wedding only if they would promise me that they would no longer have sexual relations until the day of their wedding. I look back at that now, and I am appalled at myself. I could use the excuse that I was just doing what I had been taught. What I did not realize was what I was really doing to her. A few years went by, and I ran into Maddie again. And she shared with me that because of that discussion we had with each other, she eventually found herself in therapy. Because of the guilt and shame that she was feeling in her life. The promise they had made to me, they never kept. And I was naive enough to think they might. But what I did instead is I gave her a great sense of guilt, and in particular, sexual guilt. And it was something that impacted not only her life, but it also impacted her marriage. Over time, I realized that what happened to her happens to a lot of people. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, sexual guilt is a reality. And it's a reality, especially in religion. Now, it doesn't matter if you're Christian, if you're Jewish, if you're Muslim. There is a very good chance that through those religions, you will be taught that sex is only for marriage. And that if you were to, in any way, give and follow those sexual impulses that you have, if you were to act on them, then you have committed a sin against God and against that person. Now, this idea is found in the Bible in a particular way of reading the Bible. If you read the Bible in that way, then you will have that principle that you will share, and you will perpetuate the problem of sexual guilt. The challenge that we have is that if we look back at the Bible, the times in which they were living were significantly different than where we find ourselves today. During the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament, couples were married at a very young age. In fact, it was marked by the young lady. Once she became physically able to carry a child, that made her appropriate to be married. 
Well, the challenge is, is when that happened, she didn't have a choice in the matter. And this would happen anywhere from the age of 12 to 14. And so there was not a lot of time to deal with your own sexual passions and desires. What has happened today is we are postponing marriage. We are taking marriage, and people, if they are getting married, aren't getting married until their late 20s, and some until their mid-30s. And when that happens, and the church and religions continue to preach that sex is only for marriage, it creates a problem for a lot of individuals. What ends up happening is they have natural, through biology, they have sexual desires. It's part of what it means to be a human being, plain and simple. But the church tells them, you cannot act on those feelings, those desires, until you're married. Well, think about the amount of time in today that that is the period of time that's going by before people are married. Study was done one time where it said that 95% of people, 95% of people, including Christians, have had premarital sex. And the 5% that say they don't, half of them are lying about it. The reality is it doesn't matter the way that you are raised. It's happening. But what isn't changing is the guilt. In 1970s, Master and Johnson did a study. And in this study, they wanted to look at two things, sexual desire and sexual guilt and when it is impacted by religion. And this is what it says. Religious upbringing affects human sexuality. And they found that a strict religious upbringing in Judaism, Catholicism, and Protestantism was associated with different types of sexual dysfunction. They went on and said, if you're more fundamental in your beliefs, then sex guilt is a huge factor in determining your sexual desire. Lots of guilt equals much less sex. No guilt equals sex is fine. So, tend to have more of it. Generally, there is more sex guilt amongst more fundamental and more religious people. Now, some of you will say, well, that doesn't apply to me. Either I am married or now I am single. Folks, again, it doesn't matter how old you are. We are sexual beings. I find it amazing that in religion, this message is continually given to young people. But there's a lot of older people who are single. And they still are sexual beings. 
And if they act on that, they also may be recipients of guilt. And what happens is this creates what we call a guilt cycle. Look at this slide up here on the screen. And what you'll notice is that we are taught the majority of people in religious homes, again, Jewish, Christian, Protestant, doesn't matter. We are taught that we, if we are not married, that we are to repress our sexual desires. That we are not to act on our sexual desires until we are married. So think about that. So a young person, an older person who is not married, continue to not respond to those desires. Unfortunately, what many religions do not realize is that biology always wins. So more than likely, individuals will act on that desire. And when they act on that desire, they will feel a sense of guilt. And that guilt will spur them to recommit to repressing those desires. And so they double down and they commit again. They ask God to forgive them and they double down saying, I'll never do that again. And they don't for a period of time. But then in a time of weakness, they get active, they act on those desires, and guess what? Immediately the guilt comes again. And when the guilt comes, it's a recommitment to repressing those desires. What's amazing is that we have asked individuals to not act on those desires until they're married. It's almost like, if you would, all they're seeing is a stop sign. Stop, stop, stop. Then, on a one day, they stand before a clergy person, make vows to each other, and that stop sign switches to a green light. But if that guilt took a period of time to become a part of them, that guilt just doesn't disappear when you say, I do. There was a young man, his name was Caleb. Caleb and his wife were in therapy. They'd only been married a few years, but during that period of time, their sexual relations were very little. And the reason why was his wife felt guilty. She had been taught that sex was dirty, sex was only for marriage, and she had repressed her desires over and over and over. And just because she was married, she doesn't mean that guilt was gone for her. And so the thought of having sexual relations, even with someone she loved, was impossible for her. So what does that have to do with us? 
we're a more liberal, progressive church. You're not more than likely going to hear the message that sex is until marriage. You're very rarely going to hear that in the United Church of Christ. So why are we even talking about it? If it's not a reality for us, why, why, why even preach a sermon on it? The reality is, more than likely, a significant number of the people that are in this room and are watching online are dealing in some form with sexual guilt. And we don't talk about it. It's amazing to me that more liberal churches, they put time and effort in, in feeding those who are hungry, caring for those who are homeless. Both of those wonderful things that need to happen in our societies. But yet when it comes to this part of humanity, we aren't doing very much. Now, some of you would say, well, Church of the Beatitudes, we are open and affirming. That means we accept all people. Doesn't matter by sexual orientation. It doesn't matter by gender. We are open to all people. And not only open, we affirm all people. But we stop there. Individuals who have gotten frustrated with Christianity, individuals who have gotten frustrated with religion in general, and one of the reasons is because they have suffered because of a message that has been taught to them. If they decide that no longer works for them, what are their options? More and more are walking away from religion altogether. That's why we continue to hear the message of, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. And what are we doing about it? What's amazing is Jesus gave us an example. In the scripture that Janelle read for us, it's an amazing story that the writer of the Gospel of John actually included it. Remember in communion I said Jesus wasn't always popular? Well, this story, even if it's not true, even if it's not a factual event, this story alone would have made Jesus very unpopular. Because that woman was caught in adultery. By the way, where was the man she was having the affair with? Well, again, remember, this is a patriarchal society. The man probably wasn't even punished. The woman, stoned to death. And notice what Jesus says to her again in verses 10 and 11 of John chapter 8. Then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, you know, they don't even give you her name. She's just a woman. The only thing we know about her, she's caught in adultery. 
That's her identity. Jesus says, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And I would imagine Jesus, as he looked at her, she timidly looked up at him and said, no. And then Jesus spoke these amazing words, neither do I. What's frustrating sometimes is I've heard sermons on this, and some of my other fellow members, I mean ministers, they, they want to add on, and rightly so. They add on that phrase when Jesus says, go forth and sin no more. That's what they focus on. Yes, Jesus doesn't condemn her, but he tells her, don't sin no more. Wait until you're married. Don't have sex outside of marriage. Well, my question is, if she had, what would Jesus have done then? Would Jesus have just said, you know, I, I, I gave you a pass once. Eh, you did it again. No more passes for you. Stoner. Killer. That's what the law says. Killer. I don't think so. I, I think Jesus was more interested in each of us understanding what love really is in all of its variety of expressions. And that's why, to me, churches like Beatitudes are needed. Why? Because rather than just saying it's black and white, rather than just doing something that we know will hurt the mental health of people, instead, our church is committed to teaching a sexual ethic that is based on love and that is realistic. In the United Church of Christ, they set out principles of human sexuality, and two really resonate with this sermon. Number one, a responsible and mature sexual ethic respects the moral agency of every person. Do you hear that? It respects the moral agency of every single person. When faced with ethical decisions, each of us needs to be accorded the freedom and responsibility to choose. That so ties into Jesus saying, neither do I condemn you. But please understand that this principle is not a free-for-all. This is an ethic, an ethic that is built on love and respect of another person. It understands the importance of maturity. 
It understands the benefits, but also the hurts that can come from sexual relations. That's why this next principle is so important. The church, at all levels, ought to be a context for discussion about human sexuality. You hear that? The thing we won't talk about. The thing that has given people challenges when it comes to their own mental health. People walking around with guilt and not knowing what to do with it because they have no one to talk to. If they're lucky, they have insurance and they go see a therapist. This should be a place that understands, as we've talked about in the previous sermons in this series, that we take the Bible seriously. And because of that, we may come to some conclusions that are different than a lot of other churches. But please understand, I am not saying that we are lowering the sexual ethic. I'm saying, let's raise it. And let's not base it on law. Just do or don't. Let's base it on love. And respect for each other. That's why when the opportunity came and this church came open, I put my name in because I wanted to pastor a church that took the Bible seriously and was not afraid to share that with others. That's why we're here, folks. That's why we need to continue to commit ourselves to what this church stands for. We're not for everyone. I, I understand that. But there are people who need to know there's a different way of experiencing Christianity. pretty exciting when you stop and think about it. People need what we're offering. Let's commit ourselves again to the value and the principles of love. Amen. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at beatitudeschurch.org backslash online dash giving. 
Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.